Is it really that important to eat organic? What is conscious parenting? Does homeopathy actually work? Oh god, the flu. How do I beat it naturally? How do I prepare for birth? What are the benefits of meditation? This is Healthy Happy Home, the podcast that opens up discussions on every aspect of wellness. We explore the topics of natural health and well-being, holistic parenting, consciousness, ethical entrepreneurship, inclusivity and wellness, and anything else that might fall within those parameters, to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilled life. Our intention with this podcast is to offer a space for those interested in expanding their well-being education and to create and cultivate a beautiful and diverse union of souls ready to join us on this wellness journey. Join us over on social media and subscribe to the podcast to help us grow our healthy, happy tribe. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller. Mega Home are kindly offering listeners of the Healthy Happy Home podcast a 5% discount. Just use the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home. Looking for a wellness break in the UK? Well, you're in the right place. At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness and health. Relax, reconnect and re-energise on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk. Welcome back to Healthy Happy Home. We've just had an absolutely fantastic episode that I'm buzzing off with um, Victoria Kearns, who is a Arvigo Maya abdominal therapist and medical herbalist and studying um, psychosexual and relationship therapy. So that the episode was all about empowering women through understanding their bodies. And it was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, she was so amazing, wasn't she? And I loved that. So where she she went to train to do the Maya abdominal therapy in Belize with that incredible American doctor who was living there with a, a shaman, and she went into the, all the woods and did all the herbalism and I know forest. I mean, she's had an incredible, amazing journey. You know, from if there's ever somewhere to study herbalism, I mean, in the Amazon rainforest, can you imagine? Oh, amazing. She was so brilliant and so all about women. I feel like we've had a real theme recently about women's health and sexual yeah. health. You know, it's been, yeah, she was really amazing. And the massage sounds incredible. You've had the massage. I've had it. Yeah, I had it. And I talk about it in the show. Um, and that's how, that's why I wanted to bring her on because it did so much for me. It really, really changed things for me having this abdominal massage you know, it helps with fertility and any kind of like sexual problems. And for me, it was pain during sex after childbirth and all these kind of tensions I was holding in that area. And I've done the vaginal steam. I'm yeah. that person. Um, <laughs> but no, it was brilliant. She has so much to say. And it, it really is all about female health and empowering ourselves and understanding our bodies. And we yeah. spoke about and so much other stuff, didn't we? Yeah, and, and conversations, you know, these conversations that need to be had for our girls and, yeah. you know, it's, a bit, it's been a bit out of balance with men's sexual identities and women's sexual identities. And then she talks a lot about 
gender fluidity and transgender and yeah it was it was actually very interesting yes yeah. you're gonna love the show do listen we'll tell us what you think yeah let us know your thoughts and um although there's a lot of kind of information that we'll add to the show notes about victoria and, and all the books and stuff she recommended and um yeah keep in touch and enjoy the show Victoria Kearns is a medically trained health professional, a medical herbalist and Arvigo therapist, working with clients on issues that specifically affect the abdominal and pelvic organs. Victoria regularly supports people with conditions such as IBS, IBD, endometriosis and fibroids and fertility challenges. Victoria is passionate about helping people to understand and connect with their bodies and empowering them to support their own well-being. Inspired by her clients, Victoria is currently training to become a psychosexual and relationship therapist in order to further support people with the connection between their mind and their body. So thank you so much for joining us today. We're really happy to have you on the show. What, um, what we would really love to start with is just your journey into what you do and how you got into wellness. Obviously, you work in such a broad area, which is all women's health, which we'll talk about, but we'd just love to know really how it began for you and how, how you got to this amazing place that you're in now. Thank you. Um, gosh, well, I think when I think about it, I think um, about how in the way that many rivers flow into one, many rivers in my life flowed into the choice that I made to become, to work in, in women's health. Um, I think that I, one of the first things is the, the narratives that were in my family as I was growing up, narratives that were not necessarily particularly healthy ones for a, for a, for a growing girl. Um, and, and to some extent, they were quite old fashioned narratives um, that were to do with um, the way that women were expected to be, you know, sort of 40 years ago, which is where, where there's a huge emphasis on how you look and actually the, the external the external of you is is actually more important than than what's going on what's going on internally mm. um and um there was also sort of my my parents sort of grew up you know sort of post-war and their sort of attitudes about food were you know they, they had very sort of sort of simple ideas about about food and whilst i absolutely appreciate that they did their very best for all of us um i i sort of ended up with some very odd ideas about food about sex about relationships um and um that all sort of came together really to make me really quite a confused teenager and i decided to study psychology when i was sort of um 18 to do sort of bse in psychology sort of hoping to sort of become a child psychotherapist and sort of really unpack all the things that had sort of happened to me um, but actually it was it was a very difficult time for me being at university and um, I sort of came out really um, at the end of my sort of three-year course in not a great place um, and um, I, I, I just sort of turned away from psychology altogether um, and for a number of years I actually went and worked in the arts I went to work in theatre and it was just an absolute ball um, but when I when I had my first child I was it was 28 um, and um, my entire system 
collapsed. So I just, um, I just was unwell every month just before my period came. Um, I would get these, um, it sounds pretty horrible, but I would get these like ulcers. So it's like abscess ulcers in my mouth, but I got them on my tonsils and they ran all the way down my oh, throat. Um, and I had fever. I couldn't eat. I, I was, I had like malaise. I was depressed. It was, you know, that it was this whole cycle every, every month. And then it would take me sort of 14 days to recover from, from, from this, to have one week of feeling okay before sort of going back into this really bad space again. Um, and it was on my 30th birthday, actually, and a friend of mine said to me, you know, why don't you go and see a medical herbalist? Um, so I came from this family who didn't, who, did, who said, you know, doesn't matter what you eat, as long as you're thin, that's fine. Um, and, you know, if you've got any problems, then, you know, just go to the doctor and they'll give you a whole pile of pharma medicines. And if you can't get them from your doctor, you can order them online. Um, so that was sort of my family's sort of, you know, one of their narratives. And, um, and I was like, medical herbalist? Well, that, that's for desperate people, isn't it? And then I was like, oh, but I am desperate. Um, <laughs> so, and, um, and so I, um, so I went to see the herbalist. Um, it was a fantastic chap. He practiced in Islington in London. Um, and, and it just like, my whole world was transformed. It was like an epiphanic experience. Mm. I, um, I came away and like the, 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 the sort of cha-ching bell dropped that actually what you eat has an impact upon your body and I and even to this day I still sort of laugh at myself because I think well you know you were a relatively well-educated girl and yet you still you were it took you till you were 30 to kind of connect you know what you eat with with your with your well-being um it's amazing what lifelong conditioning or childhood conditioning does to us isn't it yeah, and I think that's actually the most normal, that's the normal that's way the norm, yeah. people, yeah, I mean, that, until you meet someone, like you said, who shows you something different, that's how most of us grew up, you know, it was never about nutrition, it was just about taste or, you know, or family time or, you know, or, yeah, it wasn't ever about sort of energy. <laughs> And it always, it's always that one kooky friend you've got. Why don't you go and see a herbalist? Why don't you go and see a homeopath? It's always like, these stories always start like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you always remember that moment as well. It's like that moment where someone went, Oh, I know this lady, go and see her. You go and you're like, Yeah, because oh. Tilly, you always talk about your moment that you had yeah. that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Anyway, sorry, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Um, so, so yeah, and uh, so, so you know, not only did um, did Andrew sort of talk to me about food, but he also talked to me about herbs, and he sort of sent me away with this sort of tonic, which was like this bottle with a little cap, and it was in this brown bottle, and I was like, oh, you know, this is this is weird, but you know, I'm going to take this anyway, and um, and it was amazing, and you know, month by month, I stopped getting these ulcers, and wow. um, Just you know, from the one time. So what's that? Sorry. Just from the one tonic. From the one. So what actually interesting? What happened? And this was in a way really powerful. Is that when I first started to take the tonic, suddenly my whole mouth came out, or my all my tonsils came out in ulcers. It's quite right. yeah. yeah. If you don't mind, as if um, as if um, the body was almost purging itself of something. And so, but I was like, oh my goodness! I think I was flying to Sydney actually in in, in Australia sort of a, a week or so later and I was like oh, I can't go with all of these sort of on my throat um and so I sort of called him up and he was sort of he sort of said 
okay, I think I've put a little bit too much of, I think it was something like phytolacker in, you know, um, something a little bit stimulating. So he wanted to get the body to sort of clear, clear itself, but actually he'd done too much. And actually that was a real moment because it was like, oh my goodness, these herbs, they really, this is really working, you know, because in a way it's, it's, I can actually see, see the effects. So um, yeah, and then, and then I, sort of, I, I changed my diet and I carried on taking the tonic for about six months actually. And, and after that point, everything had stabilized like there was sort of a point before where I almost felt like I was sort of like a rubber band where you could pull me and then at some point I would just lose my elasticity and I would just become like I would just become totally lax and it was like something had broken inside of me and um and I think actually it was almost a kind of a blood sugar thing and then as soon as that happened then you know all the sort of symptoms came out so so I became a well person um and you know and you know that's not to say i've never had the, this the, the problem again i would say that um i've had three more children since then so um so you know there have been times when i've been fatigued and i've not looked after my diet but as soon as i go into that as soon as i go into that space i know exactly what to do now to kind mm. of bring my bring myself out so um having the tools i have i have the tools yes exactly exactly so so it was interesting because then I, so I had that experience of herbal medicine, which was, which also sort of really connected me with how much I, I loved nature and how much I loved biology and how much I loved plants. Um, and it was, and it all sort of came together. And I, at the time I actually was thinking about um, sort of picking up my psychology again and training to become a psychologist. Um, and so that was around sort of my thirties. And actually in the end, I felt I was really drawn to the herbal medicine and herbalism because I thought actually, the herbs can can support people both emotionally and and physically and you know and that often people can have mental health issues because they're not taking care of themselves obviously not always the case there's lots of factors going on and i want i thought well actually the herbs and give me a tool that yeah. i can really that i can support people with and that i can that they can actually use to sort of improve both their emotional and their felt sort of physical well-being so that was the route I decided to go down and I was I studied so I studied herbs I studied, them at, West, I studied at Westminster University um, and as part of that training we had to take clients in a polyclinic so you sort of had to do hands-on you know sort of training taking clients as part of the training and you know I saw a lot of women um, with things like fibroids where they would walk in the room and they would look like they were six months pregnant but yeah. they weren't pregnant they oh, you know, are awful aren't they they can they can, sometimes people can live with them and without any problem at all and they can be quite large and people can live with them without any problem at all and then sometimes they can be it can be completely debilitating mm -hmm. um so um so and then just i also sort of there were you know there was just then there were sort of women who um you know desperate to get pregnant or you know all sorts of different clients and i saw some i saw a couple of men who also came because they had sort of erectile issues um and and again it was often that they hadn't they weren't didn't feel comfortable going to their doctor their gp and sharing this problem but they could actually felt that they could come to the polyclinic and actually you know we sort of had a, a softer approach i suppose so um so that that, that that sort of started to draw me into kind of pelvic pelvic health I started to become really interested um, in pelvic health and I also sort of um, felt about how 
how important this part of our body is to us as to sort of how we feel as a woman, as a man. As I was still training herbal medicine, I kind of thought, well, I really love the herbs, but actually I feel like I want to sort of get my hands on clients. I want to be able to um, work with them in a physical way as well as, as well as sort of through, through the power of the herbs. So um, a year or two after I finished herbal medicine, I went to train um, with Rosita Arbigo um, in Belize and I learned the Arbigo techniques of myoabdominal therapy. Yeah. So, um, so you, I, you went there to do it. I you did, did. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. No, so I did it. So I did a course here before, um, and then I went to train with Rosita, and um, and that was, I think that was one of the. It was a, well, it was just a, an incredibly beautiful experience. Um, so I think she, I think she's in her late seventies when I went. Um, you need to I, tell us who she is and a uh, about that, and give us the background of her. Yeah. Technique. Okay. So so Rosita Rovigo. Um, so I think she originally, she's an American, she came from, she, she, was, she was raised in New York um, and she, um, she was trained as a napropath, um, which we don't really have in England, but it's somebody who um, is a specialist in the ligaments, which are the sort of, you know, the, it's the tissue that um, connects one bone to another bone, as opposed to the tendons which connect a muscle to a bone. Um, say that word again, because it sounds like naturopath, but we were trying to say it before and we couldn't. Napropath. Not yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In the pelvis, you have so many of these. Or, and actually, there's also some soft tissue. So there's loads and loads of ligaments all throughout the, um, so this, the, this, the attaching the sacrum to the big sort of pelvic um, bones. Um, and these are actually the ones that in pregnancy really start to kind of twist forward as the weight of the sort of, um, of the, of the baby kind of pulls on the pelvis. And actually this can, you know, once the baby's been born, it can actually, there can actually be some issues with the pelvis going back into place and that can lead to women having back pain and things like that. Um, so, but also the uterus is, um, is sort of suspended. Um, a I always think it's like um, a little bit like a spider in a spider web. So it's suspended by ligaments from, from it with the inside of the pelvis. So it's sort of, it's almost like, and it moves. So as you move, if you run, um, et cetera, so as you walk, it will be gently, just gently moving in the pelvis um, and the sort of the round ligaments which are the sort of two ligaments that attach the very top of the uterus to the to the to the pelvis are the ones that stretch enormously when um, when a woman is pregnant and they you know they you know um, and actually again those can become they can become loose and it can cause the uterus to perhaps fall back can fall back against um, the sort of colon and can cause sort of pelvic pain there it can fall to one side um, various different things so sort of the the, the rosita the napropath um became very interested in the ligaments in the in the pelvis um and she she traveled which and she was also really interested in herbs and she traveled to belize um <clears throat> i can't remember exactly what it, when it was probably in the sort of the 1960s and she worked with the sort of last great um the last great shamans of sort of Central America. Um, and, um, and she also worked with the traditional midwives um, and she just observed them. And, um, and she was sort of, um, she, was the, she became the apprentice to Don Halichio, who was this sort of final sort of shaman. And he taught her everything he knew about the sort of, um, 
the traditional techniques that were used to support with, um, women and men as well with, 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 with pelvic issues. Um, so, and how they supported women in childbirth and they helped supported women, you know, with, with sort of heavy bleeding or women with sort of pelvic pain and infertility and all sorts of things. Um, and, and he sort of requested of Rosita that, um, that, that, that she bring together all the techniques that um, that he taught her, and that she'd also learned from the from the, the sort of traditional midwives, and that she create the Arvigo techniques of myoabdominal therapy, um, which she did, um, and um, and and then you she sort of they've now been shared with many many people throughout the world so you've got you've got Arvigo therapists in in um you know in israel you've got them in in, in america in you know in england all throughout europe so there actually aren't that many of us there's only 22 of us in england which is um which is nothing compared to to many other therapists and it's sort of slightly extraordinary but um but i think at the moment they're thinking about ways to open out the training to more people and perhaps you don't have to do sort of the whole very detailed course but you can sort of do sort of aspects of it that you could integrate into into other practice um, so, so, so they, they have a herb they do herbal remedies rainforest remedies that's that, right of yes yes so that's going on yeah so that's another amazing story and um they um yeah so, so 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 rosita is i mean hearing rosita talk about herbs is um was just incredible you know walking with her through the rainforest as she talked about how you know the banana you know the banana pith that was used to sort of prevent hemorrhage and things like this is just yeah. and to give the story of you know saving a woman's life after she'd had a baby and actually she was just hemorrhaging and there was no medical supplies around and they actually you know how they bashed the banana skin and they mixed it with water and you know all this sort of stuff and how they managed to save her life oh, you know? i just love her <laughs> so much i just think herbs are the most amazing things that's a, that's an amazing place to do a course. It's not quite like going to the city lit for a night school, is it? That's <laughs> yeah, proper wow. well, course. Yeah, how incredible! So tell us more about the therapy itself and what it does and why it's so powerful. Because I met you because I've come to you to have the treatment, and mm -hmm. I've had some amazing um, experiences because of it. Yeah, so I find it, I do find it really, really extraordinary, a little bit in the way that I found those herbs extraordinary when I first took them and I saw how they worked and then again, seeing them with clients. But with the Arvigo, I guess the sort of main principles are about increasing circulation. So, and, and they, they, would, they would talk about it as in increasing the five flows because actually from a traditional point of view, they might not talk about it medically. But they, but you know, they're thinking, they're talking about sort of, blood circulation in so oxygenated circulation into the abdominal organs into the pelvic organs um, and then the venous flow so the blood flow getting the blood out of the of the pelvis um, so that those are two flows then one another flow is is lymphatic flow so um, both the uterus and the colon have one sort of lymphatic supply um, which basically and then the ovaries have another lymphatic supply so um, so and actually it's about um, the, the, the lymph glands basically clear out the tissue they clear out the sort of the, the debris the waste products from the tissue and that, and that it's really important that these are cleared in order to keep that that sort of uterus healthy and also the colon healthy as well um, <clears throat> and um, and then the other flow is is nerve flow 
So nervous innovation to those organs. So nervous innovation to the ovaries, nervous innovation to the, the sort of the colon and nervous in innovation of the uterus and also the, the sort of um, the sexual organs as well. So, you know, so the vulva and clitoris and things like that. So all of that flow comes down through, um, comes down through into the pelvis. Um, and then I guess the final flow they would talk about is the flow of energy. Um, and however you want to interpret that. So, so the techniques are designed to get all of those flows moving, to prevent stagnation, to prevent congestion, um, and also to really help bring the uterus back into a sort of central position because um, the uterus, because it's sort of suspended by these ligaments, it's sort of not held solid. It, um, it can fall, as I said, it can fall forwards, backwards to one side, to the other side. Um, women can get sort of adhesions and scar tissue. So even if someone's had something like appendicitis and they've had their appendix removed, it can actually lead to, you know, scarring and things that actually affect how the uterus is sitting. Um, and then, but equally, if someone's had um, a cesarean, um, that can that can create scar tissue um, where the uterus. It almost the scarring can actually almost go round to the back of the uterus and attach the uterus to um, to the colon, which actually can make passing a stool extremely painful. Um, and then, women who have conditions like endometriosis, they'll get adhesions where where actually they can usually get adhesions on the ligaments itself so that the uterus stops being, it actually stops being able to move, which, um, which also isn't, isn't ideal. Or sometimes like the ovaries will come round and they'll get stuck to the front of the uterus or to the back of the uterus. So when, when you sort of use the techniques, they actually, um, they start to move everything around. So things that have got very stuck, things that have got very congested, it starts to move them and it starts to allow flow to, to come. So if people have got a lot of pain because they've got everything's a bit stuck and the oxygen isn't flowing to the tissues, just literally getting inside. And actually, I am literally getting inside the pelvis. So, um, you know, it, it can feel quite, it, some of the techniques are, are really very deep. They're not painful unless somebody has a lot of pain at that particular time. It's really interesting how you can get quite deep inside the pelvis, but it, it's not actually, a painful experience. Um, you perhaps feel things starting to to move and shift, and muscles relaxing, and ligaments sort of giving. Um, but um, yeah, so so that's I guess that does that does that explain? That sounds yeah. amazing. Gosh, I want to come and try it. <laughs> well, when I when I the thing I because I came to so I spoke to you originally before I was going to have IVF, and you sent me some vaginal herbs. Mm -hmm. So vaginal steam, which we will get onto afterwards, it's a contentious yeah. subject, people have a lot of opinions about vaginal steams, but mm -hmm. I found it great and I loved the herbs and um, it was brilliant. But then, so then afterwards I came to you because I'd had four rounds of IVF all together and given birth twice and had a couple of miscarriages and, and then after having my daughter, sex became very, very painful. So much so that it, it was just too painful. Mm -hmm. and I had one treatment with you and it totally stopped mm -hmm. and That's yeah I mean I was totally amazed absolutely amazed um obviously my husband's amazed as well um <laughs> and it was just brilliant you know but I, it was a very strange sensation because how often and especially as women does anyone including ourselves actually really touch that area and get into the abdomen because you're being massaged 
on your tummy, like on your lower tummy. We don't often allow ourselves really access to that area at all. So it's very strange, both psychologically and physically mm. experience for me. Um, but it was absolutely amazing. And you sent me away with some creams and oils and lots of lovely herby things. And it was wonderful. But if you can tell us, because I know it helps so many different things. So what can my abdominal therapy be used for? Okay. Or what can it treat? Is yeah. What I mean. yeah. So first of all, I just want to say, Ed, it's so lovely just to hear you describe how that experience was for you. Mm. Um, you know, so... Um, yeah it's really nice um so lots lots of things so um so trying to tell how, how i can make it sort of systematic but but so i guess if it's, we sort of start with the bladder and then we move to the uterus and then we move to sort of the digestive system so anything to do with sort of irritation of the bladder so you know some people have things um where you know they feel like they need to go for a wee all the time um and this can be perhaps because the uterus is pressing down onto the bladder it just can be because of all the organs are perhaps just not sitting properly um and so actually it just helps to relieve the pressure on on the bladder and pulling the other organs back off the bladder just um just to sort of, and also to help relax the um it's called the detrusor muscle which is what which is what lines which the, the bladder itself is a kind of muscle that stretches and relaxes and it can sort of become oversensitized so this work can actually really help to relax the bladder and to prevent um that kind of urgency to to you know to pass it to go for a pee all the time um so there's that and and um so and then there's things so there's anything that affects really the uterus so things like endometriosis can help relieve some of that pain there are a number of other sort of treatment strategies that also help with that um things like fibroids pelvic congestion um so often sort of women as they become sort of perimenopausal everything just gets a bit congested everything becomes a bit sluggish everything is slowing down um and actually that just it causes a lot of pain in that area so again women who have very painful periods um it can be really good for that um and fertility so 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 sort of just through experience and through the number of women i've worked with i feel that the arvigo work works really well for fertility um when there's sort of an underlying issue that's called that's kind of causing that the, 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 the sort of fertility issue um, but actually if somebody's coming to me and they um, they're 43 or 44 and they're they're looking for some support with with sort of fertility then probably our vigo in itself isn't going to be the thing that's going to make the the, the big difference um, in that um, in that it probably isn't circulation to the uterus that's that's the biggest problem here mm -hmm. it, it possibly egg quality is 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 going to be is going to be the issue there so i find that it's i find that it works astonishingly well actually with younger women when the egg quality is really good um, but that there's something functional not working quite right with the uterus and that once we get that going again it's you know it's magic and, and sometimes it is as you've said Lauren it's you come people will come to me for one treatment they've been trying for years they've had IVF you know they've almost given up hope and then they come to me and and you know it, sometimes it's one treatment and it's it's extraordinary um, so um, yeah so IVF um, so, so um, fertility um, 
and then um, issues sort of to, so so prolapse as well. So when those ligaments have become everything's become a little bit loose. So um, and again that works particularly well if it's sort of in the sort of first eighteen months after the woman after a woman's had the baby, while there's still some sort of flexibility and things like that. Um, and then yeah, and then the work also does include the abdomen. So it includes the digestive system. So um, so actually it and it sort of works a lot on the uh, the sort of diaphragm area and allowing the sort of um the sort of parasympathetic innovation of the digestive system so for people who spend a lot of time in the fight or flight response um with a lot of anxiety then actually this can actually really help to calm down the digestive system and bring the circulation to it and um and help with those kind of things gosh there's so much going on in that small kind of <laughs> Well, and then there's your head. <laughs> and then there's your head. <laughs> that's incredible, isn't it? So, so, so that's a quite a good segue because the other thing that you are learning is psychosexual yeah. and relationship therapy. And I feel like after meeting you and, and kind of getting to know you a bit, first of all, I think just you personally, that would work so well with you because you have such a lovely way about you and a very deep understanding of women's health and mm. it would be it would just work so well to have I always think practitioners are great when they practice more than one modality because you know when I leave you you can give me some herbs as well to kind of you know aid things it's just like lots of different things that will help so talk to us about this psychosexual therapy because I think so many people will be interested in that mm. yeah so so I think so, so I think that I, I knew I wanted to work psychotherapeutically with people, but I was never quite sure how. And it was actually through the Arvigo work and through to an extent some of the herbal work as well, um, where I just I just felt so incredibly drawn to working with people in this way. Um, and I think it's sort of just working with with clients. I think the, the thing that really, really provoked me, I think, was when, you know, I have clients who, who have issues where intercourse is painful, where they've got some, you know, they've got some kind of growth, benign growth, or, you know, in the vagina or on the cervix, um, and that they've never actually touched it. So they've put up with intercourse um, that is painful for them, but they've never felt that their body belongs to them. So they felt, so the doctors, you know, you can go to the doctor and they can insert their, you know, their fingers and they can have a feel around and you can have a sort of smear test. But somehow, um, for many, many women, sort of um, exploring that part of their body themselves, it's almost like it belongs to somebody else. Oh. And I've seen this over and over again with clients, you know, so people will come with a prolapse and I'll say, oh, you know, have you, you know, have you felt your cervix? Have you felt, you know, um, you know, how, how far can you insert your finger? And they're sort of, no, you oh. know, and, 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 you know, and it's, it's, it's sort of, um, and it happens over and over again. And I think that, and I think I've seen the way um, that it also just really, the shame around sort of sexual pain and the number of women who've put up with sexual pain and don't even voice it, that, that, um, that it's almost as if they feel that this is, that they're, it's, their, um, it's their duty to please their husband or their partner um, and that they don't, they don't actually voice it. And, um, 
And I think it starts to seep into all aspects of people's lives. I think it affects people's self-esteem. You know, we live in such a kind of sexualized culture that, um, that if you don't feel that you can do it, if you can't have sex because, you know, you've got someone, you know, you've got vaginismus or something like that, um, or because, you know, you can't get an erection, it's, um, it, there's so much and so many other issues. There's so much shame around that. Um, and I suppose I just, it was the sort of final trigger when I just sort of thought, this is what I want to do, you know, this is, or this is not what I want to, you know, this is what I want, this is what I want to do next, this is what I want to bring, this is the sort of yeah. element from it. And I also sort of found that I had a number of women who wanted me to help them with their sort of, um, with, with sort of painful intercourse, um, but they didn't want to bring a partner in. And that became very difficult because actually there's only so far that you can go helping somebody on their own, because actually it's about a discussion, it's about having to talk it's about communication mm. um it's about and that's where the sort of relationship part of it comes in because actually and it's about you know and one of the things i found really just you know just amazing on this journey is about learning how to own i how to own your own feelings and your own needs and to learn how to express those to somebody else um, without necessarily expectation that they should fulfill your your needs but it's just about just learning learning how to say i and so i think do you work kind of like a, a sex therapist is that what it's like so you work with a couple what it would be with a couple yes right. yeah yeah and has your psychology degree helped you to go into that a, a kind of a level that might other people might not be able to start at is that a because you've obviously had done that three years before so I don't think so I, I found my psychology degree just immensely theoretical mm -hmm. and I think that's partly why I did I chose not to sort of go into psychology at that time because it um it was it there was the bit that interested me was about the connection and the therapeutic connection with people but at kind of BSc level you know it's just about you know all the studies and all the research that's sort of been done um you it's know not a very people. holistic approach is it yeah um it do you know I, I think it, I think they wouldn't even understand the word holistic because yeah. I think they they the so a lot of psychology is so busy being a science um, that actually um, and that it that it um, because it wants to be a science because that gives it validity yeah. actually it can't understand some of the broader the broader things that are going on um, so so actually retraining now and doing it as a psychotherapeutic course as opposed to a kind of psychology course is a completely different experience you learn about therapeutic approaches so you learn about different ways of actually offering therapy therapy to people um you know so you've probably heard of freud and sort of psychodynamic approaches um but you, then there's also sort of the more humanistic approaches that sort of assume that people can think in the moment and that they can make choices about how they want to live their life and they can you know change their, their lives for the better once they've sort of gained deeper understanding of what's going on for them so that's the bit that's interesting so so it's a long answer to your question <laughs> you don't need a psychology degree at all <laughs> um, okay there we go that's good to sounds like the psychology degree needs a bit of updating because I think if I was an 18 year old now I would love to do a psychology you'd love the idea of a psychology degree but I think I would expect it to be more along the lines of what you're actually studying now which is yeah. more human interactive yeah and I know. think so many people are craving that now because 
I know, I mean, so many people who are choosing, for example, life coaches over therapists, you know, like traditional therapists. So people want that more human connection, that holistic approach, the integrative approach that isn't so medicalized. Who was it that said that um, academics see their body as just something to transport their head to a meet, another meeting? <laughs> oh, that's a great one. That used to be me. That's so funny, isn't it? Oh, really? Yeah. I can't imagine you like that. I know. I know. <laughs> Maybe that was your upbringing, though, in a way. That's your conditioning, yeah. isn't it? That's, nice. that's right. So how would, it, how would an appointment like that go? The couple would sit with you, and how would it be different to couples therapy, for example? So, so I'm still in training, so I'm, 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 I'm not, I've not done it for real yet. Um, no. So, um, but... You know, I, I guess um, you know. I, I guess either one one part of the couple might come and see you, and sort of say, you know, it's my husband's fault. You know, he's got you know this problem where you know he um, he ejaculates too quickly. You know, and therefore we you know this causes all sorts of other problems. And and actually, you know, the first thing to do is to get the the, the partner into the room, and to actually understand really what's going on because um, you know one of the things that you learn is that actually in a relationship um what that there, there are two stories and both of those stories are absolutely valid um and that it's about just understanding what's going on between between the couple um and helping them to understand one another and stop fighting with each other and stop blaming each other but actually finding a way to have empathy for one another and to have care for one another and um and, you know, then I suppose the, the role is partly psychoeducation. So, you know, it's sort of or sexual edu education, depending, because, again, people will come with all sorts of misinformation about sex. And, you know, how many times should we, how often should we be having sex? You know, if we don't have sex, does that mean that we're, our relationship isn't whole? You know, people have all of these sort of, you know, mm -hmm. preconceptions and that they've just learned through all sorts of places. So it's sort of breaking those things down and actually sort of almost supporting people to instead of their own re-education um and then there's also the sort of the more sort of deeper psychological work which is actually what's going on perhaps with you know so thinking about kind of like attachment and actually what happened in their growing up and when they sort of reforming their bond with their mother you know how has that left them and how has that impacted upon the way that they kind of oh wow that they you know that they bond with another with another adult you know are they playing out the same behaviors in order to get attention in the same way so going a bit deeper and trying to understand those sorts of things because um, i was going to say to you if, if a man comes to you and says he he ejaculates too quickly how is that something that therapy can surely that's a mechanical thing well, but you're obviously saying that it could be linked to yeah conditioning and childhood variety yeah all sorts of things and and the role of the of the psychotherapist uh, or the psychosexual therapist actually to work out which elements of those are physical yeah. and which elements are psychological and is this something that needs a psychological approach or actually do I just do I need to go and do they need to be sent to the doctor very quickly for for you know for, for something else so that would be that would partly be the role but actually most of these issues have both a physical and a psychological um, potentially an aspect of both um, so I was going to ask you that because the no one so little is really spoken about about female orgasms as well and like 
and the different types of female orgasm and like you know for me personally though it's often in my head you know it's not it's not a mechanical thing and yeah. so i can imagine that if there's issues with that and it is in your head then therapy would be a brilliant thing for it because it's not like oh you know you should be fitter or you know eat more it's there, there could be other issues going on because yeah. maybe, but i don't know do you find that that it's it's more for females that it is more psychological or is that just with everybody that's with I would say that it's with everybody and I think that I've got actually I've got two amazing books that that I would recommend to anyone who's interested in this um one is called the new male sexuality and it really basically debunks all the myths that society has created about men and men's sexuality and um and it's brilliant um and um and the other one is a book by Emily Nagoski, which is about, which is more about, um, which is not about female sexuality, because actually we're starting to live in a world where there's a lot more gender fluidity. So we just have to be careful about using those kind of terms. But, but it's very much about um, the woman and her relationship with her, with her body. Um, and it's, it's called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Oh, I've heard of this. Heard of this. Yeah. I think a friend of mine is studying to be a sex therapist. She lives in New York and I think it was her that recommended it to me. Yeah. Well, both of those books talk about um, are sort of certain conditions that need to be met in order for both the man and the woman to actually have a sort of satisfying sexual experience and when I say satisfying I mean sort of both psychologically and physically satisfying um, and um, and you know I don't know for example for me it would be the fact that my children have to be nowhere in sight you know and and I and I need not to be too tired you know so everybody has certain yeah. conditions that have to be met yeah. however we very often compromise on those conditions in order to please our please our partner um, mm -hmm. and that actually that ends with you know with a premature you know with a premature ejaculation or with not being able to you know maintain an erection or um, for a woman maybe not having an orgasm so mm -hmm. it's um, you know I think which is the common story isn't it so I think these books sound totally life-changing <laughs> yeah and, and great for um because I've got a teenage daughter so I think it's really you know there's so much about boys and masturbating and you know like it's so kind of like openly kind of discussed for boys yeah. Yeah. and you see it in all the media but they, with girls it's very you know it's occasionally you'll see like oh okay i know what she's doing or it's not it's not openly discussed enough i think i think that's such a good point yeah because you know girls are not taught enough about their bodies about the sacredness of their bodies, about, you know, pleasure and how it's okay and what they deserve and how to view their bodies. It, yeah. We're so silent about it. We don't kind of, we empower, you know, men will empower their sons to, you know, I'm generalizing here, but society as it has been, men will empower their sons. Oh, go on, son, you know. But how often are women talking to their daughters about masturbation and about what it should feel like and what it should be and yeah. what sex should be other than wait till you're married, you know, because it's just that's just not how life works anymore. But you were talking about gender fluidity. Is that something that you're learning in the course now? Are you having um, kind of mixed gender, um, same gender couples or transgender people coming to see you? So yeah, so and so again, I'm not seeing people just at the moment, but actually it's something that, um, so as part of the training, just becoming very aware of, um, 
I suppose it's, it's sort of partly is about being aware of you as the therapist. So me as a therapist, um, the position of privilege that I might hold because I'm white British, um, because I'm well educated, because I'm, um, uh, you know, um, you know, all of these sorts of things. Yeah, um, yeah. And that it's just about being aware um, of the difference. Um, and the fact that, um, and the fact that there now are so many different ways that people choose to express themselves. So I, the way you sort of think, I think about it is, you know, you've got men and women on a biological sense, and then you've got male, female, which is a gender, which is sort of, so you've got bio, the biological man and fe, ma, ma, woman and man on the sort of bottom as your chromosomes. Um, and then you've got male, female, which is your gender. And that's where it starts to become fluid because you might be, you might have a man's body, but you might feel that you're a woman. Um, and then the next level is how do you choose to express yourself sexually? So you might, you know, so, and it's, so actually you start to, so many of these things sort of start to inter, interrelate in such a way that you can't make an assumption about a person. Mm -hmm. So um, it's starting to actually think about how we talk about how do you identify um, and actually some of the people on my course identify as they so they're male, neither male nor female and you know geez it's 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 like this incredible tongue twister to have a sentence and use they and you know um, but one one ha it's almost like the language is not set up to accommodate yeah it's like there needs to be another word that's not a plural yeah accommodate someone who feels like neither of those and it's too defined as well male and female isn't it really it's a, I think it's a very big issue so it's just about being being aware of that um and not making assumptions about people um, yeah. mm. I was going to ask you actually, um, because um, Lauren mentioned it earlier about Gwyneth Paltrow and the vaginal steaming, and it's really funny because there was obviously a lot of controversy about it. And today, because I haven't done it, I thought, oh, I'll have a little look online about it. And there were so many conflicting. It was either like, don't definitely don't do that because it, you're going to burn yourself and it's not going to do anything. And how can it reach uterus? And da da da. And then obviously everyone's saying, no, it's fabulous. It'll make you feel great and increase your sex. And so I just wanted, well, we wanted to ask you about that because Lauren's told me that she's done it thanks to your recommendation. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, so. I, did it, I did it before my fertility treatment. And obviously I, as I do with everything, I had lots of modalities and, you know, I had acupuncture and I was seeing my naturopath and all of that. But, you know, it felt great. And um, yeah, I mean, that's all you can say, really, isn't it? You can't say if that was the th that was the binding thing that made it all work. But it definitely I definitely enjoyed it. It was a lovely experience. And I guess yeah. it's like you're saying it's, it's actually getting people just to get a bit more involved with that area in a way. Yeah. Well. Yes, it could be about as little as that, you know, not as little, but it could be about that and actually I think that I think it's a really good point because I think it is it's just about gosh I can do that and I can actually open myself up to that experience of actually allowing you know a pleasure it's something I'm you know it's not it's not it's not masturbation at all but it, it but it is actually allowing a different kind of pleasure being open to a different kind of pleasure and to actually go through a ritual before yeah. that 
before you know an intent to give your to give yourself pleasure um so it's yeah so i think it can work on that on that um on that in that way and i think particularly for women who find it really hard to connect with that part of their body so um so for women who who do feel a lot of shame and who don't feel com comfortable touching their vulva um and that that actually it could be the start it could be the yeah. start of that connection the start of that kind of you know the building of that relationship so um so yeah controversy gosh we've talked about lots of controversial things i think <laughs> <laughs> We always do on this show. I'll be getting hate Some people won't know what vaginal steaming is or how it works. Yeah. So just quickly talk us through how it, what it actually is, and how it works. Yeah. Okay. So I guess um, the, the route that I've come I've come to understand it is again through the sort of a sort of a traditional technique which of um, which was a sort of again it's a Mayan it's a sort of Central American sort of technique of um, yeah it's called a bajos it's B A J O S I think I've got the right pronunciation again just start some 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 herbs in a terracotta bowl you know um, with some hot water poured on top and then actually just sit and allow the steam and the sort of herbs with their sort of circulatory and their sort of mucilaginous qualities to actually rise up and just to infuse the vulva and actually then to work more deeply in that area. Um, and the, the so does that does that explain? Yeah, yeah. For those who don't have a terracotta bowl and are not living oh. in Central America, <laughs> I did it over a toilet seat. Yeah. And how it worked for me was Victoria told me to take a Pyrex bowl. And um, just because people will be wondering kind of, well, how do I actually do it? I took a pyrex bowl. You don't sit over the kettle, do you? No, you don't sit over the kettle and you don't burn yourself <laughs> and it's not. And I, you know, start and I, I, I diffused some essential oils and I, and the lights were off and I had a pyrex bowl with hot water and I put the herbs that, that Victoria had given me into the bowl and I put the bowl into the toilet bowl. So you've got a good few inches between the bowl and your vagina. So you're not you know, farming yourself in any way. And you sit there and you, one of the things that I did was, you know, I had a robe on and I had thick socks on so that my, my feet didn't get cold because one of the things I learned about fertility was, um, you know, when you're going through fertility treatment, keep the feet in the womb warm. So, um, and I sat there reading a magazine with some calming music on and it was blissful. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, it sounds nice because in a way that you can sometimes the vaginal area can be looked upon as a bit mechanical maybe it's like it's to have sex it's to go to the loo it's to have a baby it's like it does stuff you know it's yeah. just like it's, it does stuff what can we give back to it yeah love, yeah a bit of pampering so lovely yeah some pampering yeah 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 so yeah so i mean i think the first time that i that i heard about it a friend of mine said oh you know have you heard what gwyneth paltrow is doing you know you know steaming you know steaming her vagina over some herbs and i was sort of like oh. you know when i did the the albigo course um we actually did it together so there was a group of us and there was six of us and we got these buckets and these herbs and these sort of, it, sort of stools and yeah. um, holes in them and there was a group of us and we sat in a circle that must have been hilarious wasn't it um well do you know it, I think it probably was hilarious is that we were all getting it together and we were sort of trying to work out how to do it. Um, and one of the, the girls was an Israeli singer. And um, what was really amazing was the way that her voice changed as the herbs were kind of warming up, 
you know, warming up the vulva, moving up into the pelvis, it almost felt like it was moving all the way through and was sort of coming up almost and actually warming the larynx. And the, her voice became so soft and beautiful. Wow. It, was, it was the absolute ma most magical experience. And afterwards, I texted my friend and said, you'll never believe what I've done. Kind of thing. I so, did that with my friends after I did it. And then I wrote a whole article about it and how my friends were <laughs> laughing at me. But, but there are, um, I follow some people on Facebook, some women who kind of promote this and they always put pictures of their communal vaginal steams. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Well, it makes me think about the Romans. You know, if you go and see sort of um, the sort of old archaeological sites where, where, you know, with the Roman baths and things, you know, all the men every morning would have lined up in a row and all yeah. sort of there to do their business and they would have chatted about yeah about the day you know and business and all those sorts of things and actually, i actually do think there was a place in london that was sort of going to do a kind of sort of vaginal steam sort of um sort of communal communal sort of thing um but well, there are women doing it here yes yes how so, long do you stay how long do you sort of stay there then if you are going to do the bowl and if you what which kind of herbs if you if you want to try a herb, what, what herbs would you recommend? I think it, it slightly depends what you want to achieve. So, um, so, but I think most of the time what we want to get is we want to increase flow. So we want to increase circulation. So I use things like um, calendula and, um, and uh, things like rosemary um, and lavender um, and um, things like um, cornflower, which is okay. a... a which is um, a lovely sort of a menagogue, which actually sort of helps the uterus to kind of, you know, clear clear itself. So yeah, so nothing to us, nothing like. Um, so it's really important to. Um, to, to see that it's not something that's antimicrobial. It's not something that's sort of sage and thyme there to get rid of, you know, a sort of candida infection. So there's a common misunderstanding, I think, that that it's there to, it, the, the purpose of it is to get rid of sort of vaginal infections. It's not, in fact, you know, if you wanted to get, to, to sort of use herbs to, to sort of get rid of vaginal infection, you'd probably sit in what's called a sitz bath. So you'd make a very strong tea and you would actually sit in it. So this is a very different thing. This is about, you know, helping to sort of get the circulation moving to sort of pelvic organs so you don't want you want lovely gentle but kind of quite stimulating herbs to get things moving something that smells beautiful i think basil is a quite a common one traditional sort of herb that was used um as well um and yeah so sitting for maybe 20 minutes um 20 minutes half an hour something like that i would always advise someone getting the herbs from someone who knows about it as opposed to just kind of going into your kitchen drawer and taking some of your herbs out. Yeah, yes, lots of those would be quite powerful. I think the ones you might have in your culinary cupboard, yeah. um, they wouldn't be the ones to use. But people can buy ready-made packs of these from you. Um, yes. Not yeah. expensive, and then you can just do it yourself at home, right? Do it yourself at home yeah i did sort of have a fantasy as well about making like a proper stool like almost like yeah. um you know i have a friend who, who they work in they, they produce lots of things in woodwork and i sort of would quite like to create a stool but i just haven't you know so that actually you're not sitting in your toilet but that you you can sit yeah. in a different space yeah. in your house and you know but it just hasn't got to the sort of top of the of yeah it's almost it's almost like a, a commode but needs to be more appealing yeah than a commode. yeah yeah, no, absolutely. I was. I've actually got a bidet in my 
bathroom. Ah, uh, I don't know whether that that might work. I have to try. I'd have to try it. Yeah. So the thing, the important thing is to is to is to lay your arm here with the sensitive bit of your wrist above where you think your where you think your vulva is going to be. Yeah. That when you so you can test it in the same way that you test the bath water with your elbow before you put your baby in the bath. Um, yeah. You test the temperature before you put your delicate areas you yeah. know, above that. And if it's too hot, you know, then yeah. give it a moment to cool down. Um, yeah. You know, so so I think that's the thing is you won't burn anything. You won't, you know, it's not going to, you yeah. know making infection much worse all sorts of things i mean these, these are sort of fear things and i can't quite understand why why somebody would people would choose to be so anti it you know because it's each individual's person choice yeah. as to whether or not yeah. they engage in this activity there is absolutely i don't believe there's anything dangerous about it provided you make sure that you test you test the temperature you're not using essential oils and you're not using other herbs that are very drying and very you know very sort of astringent Mm. I think I think sometimes people just like to, you know, just put things down, don't they? And just you know, it's something to talk about that's a bit controversial, and that so they can. It's easy to kind of go, oh, that's ridiculous, and you might burn yourself, and yeah. they probably haven't tried it. That's the thing. No, but this, this is kind of the whole like anti-wellness people, yeah. and you know, that's yeah. pseudoscience and stuff. They would say, yeah, don't they? Exactly. Pseudoscience. It's like, come on. I think the idea of doing these kind of group vaginal steams, the reason I liked it and I like seeing the pictures is, and the, the women are all fully dressed by the way, you know, and they're wearing robes and everything. The reason I like it is because like you said, Tilly, about talking to our teenage girls, it's just opening the conversation surrounding our sexuality in that area. You know, if you tell anyone I did a vaginal steam, let alone I'm going to do a group vaginal steam, they'll be like, are you crazy? That's so weird. What we're doing now by stop having these treatments available, which, by the way, you know, were from the from the Mayans, so thousands mm -hmm. of years ago, mm -hmm. women were more informed about their sexuality than we are now. Um, you know, it opens that conversation. It enables us to start thinking about our sexuality in a more accepted way, without thinking it's weird or it's gross, or you know, opening the conversation surrounding periods and vaginas and penises, and like yeah. we've all got them. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it had become a bit medicalized that kind of whole area, hasn't it? Mm. Like, so it's kind of bringing it back, getting it away from just being a functional, functional thing. Yeah. So it's interesting. If you look up synonyms for penis and synonyms for vaginas, there's about three synonyms for a vagina, but there's about 20 synonyms for a penis. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, which I think is really, you know, you know, like, you know, including a schlong and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that the ones for the for the for the man for the penis are really quite fun but the terms for the vagina or yeah. the are you know it is it's all it's all medical yeah, yeah. okay well i'm gonna enjoy doing the instagram post for this it's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> um so we uh we're, we're nearing the end but you do do some amazing workshops and um one that really interested me was you've got a workshop called Herbology and Medicine Making for Children. And I just think this is totally <laughs> amazing. And you're based in Watford. And I know a lot of um, kind of natural minded uh, parents living in the Hertfordshire area. And I just think they would all love that. So tell us about your workshops, not just the children's ones, but tell us about all of them. 
So yeah, so so actually we were doing the workshops sort of when we first started to practice as a kind of way of um, of just sort of telling people that we were here. Um, and and so and we yeah, so and we and so but actually and then and then what we did was we moved into opening our garden, the um, herbal medicine garden as part of the National Garden Scheme. And then when people were coming along for that, we were offering workshops for children as part of that. Um, unfortunately, we've not done it this year because of the because of COVID-19. Um, and so and we've been homeschooling and um, trying to work and we've not done the garden so unfortunately we're not going to do it this year but um yeah so we've done we do yeah we just we, i think um one of the things is about one of the things i really care about is is helping children to connect with nature and for some reason it feels quite hard for children to, to connect with nature and i just wonder if it's a bit slow you know they can't see the flower bud opening there's something you know and so actually this workshop was really to sort of Get the children up close to the dip to the plants and go look this this is the these are the mint family plants and look wow they've got a square stem look if we cut it in half you can see that it's a square or you know this is um you know this is the daisy family and look all the all the plants in the daisy family have little little tiny weeny flowers in the middle and then they have the petals on the outside and actually just trying to connect and getting the eyeglass out so that they can actually go in and look really closely wow. at, and you see the stamens and the styles and things you know inside of the plants um and um yeah and then you know actually get them to sort of draw something and and you know and then um also get them to make something so they can actually see how you um how you can actually turn a plant so doing in sort of infused oils so something like you know marigold infused oil it's so easy to see or something like st john's wort which actually turns the oil um red uh, you know is this so and then and actually turning that into a balm and you know we made some sort of insect balms for them so that they you know if they got little insect bites while they were or scratches or something while they're out you know in, in in nature they could sort of rub a little bit of their their balm on um so that was really nice and then we did do some we did do some for um for some sort of you know slightly older girls as well which was really lovely um and you know because i think i had this sort of um notion that i wanted to help start that process of helping to connect girls with um with food and what they eat and you know also sort of what they're putting on their skin and things and but what was amazing was that the girls the girls who attended the workshop they were they already knew everything you, you can see that it was like a, it was a passion of theirs and that's why they wanted to come to our workshop so it wasn't it wasn't the people necessarily you know it was really had a great time and really glad they came but it was interesting because it wasn't the people who I who yeah. I'd imagined that yeah. I wanted to kind of you know draw in it was you know all of these girls who were yeah. already very well informed and so. it's not just for girls right not just for girls well that one actually that, that that the one the sort of one that was about skin and beauty and things like that we we did sort of that was not that we said it was just for girls um but actually the girls came but actually the children one was we've had are the boys and boys and girls and all of them they just yeah all loved it yeah it was great Right, well we look forward to doing i look forward to coming and see one when you do it so probably next summer you'll be doing them i guess yeah yes exactly yes You've had a summer off mind you it's so busy with the kids and being at home i'm sure it's actually probably it, it, it was it be possible. possible we couldn't we couldn't do spend the time in the garden it's you know it's just um it was it's just been a bit yeah a bit tricky this year and then we also didn't know that it was going to we thought that we weren't going to open the garden and so we didn't sort of invest in we always sort of invest in sort of new herbs and things like that but even those were quite difficult to get hold of so mm. just thought we'll just have a rest this year and then next year we'll open up again yeah, yeah.
But you've been open this whole time, right? You guys have been working, yeah. I've been working. So, um, so I haven't, so obviously during lockdown, I didn't do any hands-on work, um, but actually, um, but I, yeah, but so just, just put my whole business over onto Zoom um, and doing consultations for, for herbs and also teaching some people the techniques through, um, through over Zoom has been quite interesting as well. Um, and um, and I can, I should be able to open my clinic again from the beginning of July. And so it'll actually be really nice to then see the clients who I'd only, I've only met over Zoom to actually meet them in person and actually, you know, do, do some work with them. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, I think there is a lot of takeaways from this episode. <laughs> we will put all your details, um, your website and everything in the show notes so people can find you. Um, but we always do our little what are we into thing at the end of the show. Um, is there anything in particular that you are into this week that slightly uh, encompasses holistic living? Gosh, yes, I don't know, actually. Um, I think that, I think that for me, actually, it was sort of during, not, not just this week, but actually doing through the sort of the whole of the lockdown period was about, um, and I think this is mirrored by a lot of people, was about just taking the time to look so when you go, to, when you when you're in the woods, when you're in the park, that you're not just walking through it, but that actually yeah. you um, you just spend the time looking at the bark on the tree and noticing how um, you know the the, the 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 roots of the oak tree are different from the way that the sweet chestnut tree sort of grows. Um, and I think one of the loveliest things for me was actually seeing um, the flower of an oak tree. So we all know the acorns and we all know the shape of the leaves, the sort of lobed leaves yeah. of the oak, but actually how many of us have actually seen the flower of the oak? Um, and it's, 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 it was, you know, it was, I, I couldn't believe it when I sort of went up and I was just looking at it and it, there was these sort of tiny little embryo-like leaves that were just miniature but perfectly formed. Um, and then the flower, which is, which is, it's sort of, you know, it's very, very, um, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing magnificent about it. It's just this little, just this little sort of flower. And, um, and that was beautiful because, you know, compared to something like the horse chestnut tree that has these amazing pink and white sort of racemes and, you know, the conquer, it's sort of all, you know, really shouting at you. The oak just had this very sort of subtle one. So I think for me, it's just about taking the time and just looking. Yeah, lovely. Gorgeous. <laughs> Tilly, what do you do? Um, so I've been into, I got, have got back into, it's funny because you were talking about the lymphatic system earlier. I, the, my kids were getting these little bumps on their arms and we couldn't, I couldn't, I used to have a body brush, couldn't find it. Anyway, got a body brush again and we're all doing the body brush oh. before you get in the shower and it's just so great, isn't it? It's like, yeah, so that's, I'm really enjoying that, that sort of stimulation and I've got a lot of sun recently, so I'm feeling my skin's a bit dry, so it's kind of working, working well for that and, um, yeah, it just gets all. It kind of clear helps clear or clear all your stuff, doesn't it? So with the with the dry brushing on, obviously it's a bit hard. It feels a bit painful to start with, but I've been doing that. And then I've been really indulging myself with some Walida Wild Rose body oil, which is oh, like amazing. Yeah, and especially like you're saying that because all the roses are coming out now, and I've seen in the park this incredible house which all her white roses have just I can walk past them and I've just sort of seen them come out and I so roses like one of my favorite smells so 
yeah that's been my thing i pretty much got through it in two weeks the, the oh wow <laughs> I know. i'm like okay i think i need to find another one. i don't think i can use that twice a day every day i think i'm gonna have to keep it a bit more special but yeah it smells incredible anyway so that's that's been my little treat how about you lauren well i mean it's not strictly holistic living but i do think that anything that opens us up to diversity um is holistic and helps us be more holistic and with everything that's been going on this week with black lives matter i've been reading well for a while i've been reading some contemporary um non-fiction on racism trying to educate myself so this week i'm reading uh why well, i'm no longer talking to white people about race by rennie edo lodge and um it's really teaching me a lot and really kind of helping me to understand um you've recommended um, a lot of books i've seen you recommend i recommend yeah i i read a lot about the subject i always have done i've always read a lot of fiction about slavery and um you know the black south and uh, you know how black people have been treated um but i've never until a few months ago never really immersed myself into the modern contemporary issues surrounding race and I just think that it's really our duty and the black boxes were posted but it's not enough and we have to keep educating ourselves and keep reading and being more of a support to the black community than just posting a black box yeah so um, I'm enjoying that this week I've also read um, me and white supremacy and um, yeah, but lots more, but that's the one I'm reading this week. So, and I'd highly recommend it because it's really, you know, as a white person, we just, we have no idea. We just have no idea of our privilege and, and why it's so kind of systemic and entrenched in us. And it, yeah. it's really helping me to understand it and hopefully be able to say and do the right things from there. Mm. Mm. Well, so on that note, um, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us. So much and I think everyone listening will have so much to take away <laughs> yeah and th there are lots more conversations from this I think we'll I think be... so yeah it's been yeah. such a pleasure talking to you this evening and yeah. to you and to you thank you so much lots of love to you we hope you enjoyed this episode if you took anything away from it that you think might benefit others please share with family friends or on social media most of the podcasts we have grown to love ourselves have been recommended to us. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Healthy Happy Home Podcast, where our intention is to build a beautiful and diverse tribe of souls to join us on this journey to wellness. to Mega Home Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home.